How are we doing? Doing good? Great. Sounds like they're doing well at the Long Point campus. I hope you're doing as well if you're joining us from an off-site campus or one of our venues. Or maybe you're joining online or on a podcast as well, and it's great to see you uh, this weekend. If we've never met before, my name is Sean Wood. I am one of the teaching pastors here, and I am honored to be able to come and to, uh, to just open God's Word and to continue in a great book, this book of Philippians that we've been looking at. And as we've been covering it in a series called The DNA of Joy. And uh, we're taking about 10 weeks to just uh, really dive deep into the book of Philippians. And this weekend, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll kind of camp out there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can look at the screens or you've got outline sheet. You've got an outline sheet as you came in that you can uh, pay attention to. Uh, and this weekend, we're going to be looking at the joy in the process. That there is this process that we go through, and Paul talks about how it is that we can find joy in that process. Um, for those of you who may have learned, some of you may have learned already through Facebook or, or Twitter, this will, this will be an old announcement for you, but, but um, uh, my wife and I are expecting our third child. Um, yep. And I'm glad you're excited because we figure about every two and a half years, someone with my last name needs to come into the world to continue our family identity. So that's kind of our plan uh, that we're doing. And uh, we found out this week that he's going to be a little boy. So Samuel Cannon Wood uh, will enter the world sometime in June or July, late June or early July. And um, we're excited about it as uh, as we should be because we're his parents. And so that's a good thing. And... Um, <laughs> You'll find out how excited we're going to be in, in June or July when on Facebook we will start posting all of the pictures of this little newborn and his little scrunchy red face that will be there and that we'll think he is just unbelievably cute. And um, every all of your newborns are cute. But would some of you agree that some people's newborns aren't that cute? But But we love... We love newborns. I mean, we love that, that newborn face, and so, so you'll get to see that and kind of experience that. And we love everything about newborns, and, uh, and we love their cry. I mean, honestly, I remember thinking, even their little cry is this cute. Now, just for a couple of days, but it, even their cry <laughs> is cute. Their breath smells great. I mean, you're like, oh, newborn breath. It's like an, an angel gets its wings or something every time they breathe. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And we even, and I have to say it's cliche, I know, but I remember holding up the first little diaper and going, oh, this is adorable. You know, the, you know what I'm talking about. And it's just adorable. I mean, I use the word adorable about a dirty diaper because we love newborns. We all do. Everybody loves newborns. You know, there's another picture we like as well. And I got to kind of experience it this, this past couple of weeks. Um, here at the Long Point campus, a local Christian school host was called a daddy-daughter dance. And they had this daddy-daughter dance where all the guys bring their daughters and we dress up in ties and suits and people rent limos. And I mean, it's just unbelievable fun. There, there's these uh, princess dresses everywhere and flowers and doilies, whatever a doily is. I don't even know what it is, but I'm sure that doilies were there. And, and there's just very, very girly night. It's, it's is great. And there's always this part of this wonderful night. This is my daughter and I. This is our third time of going to this deal. And there's always this point in the night where the people who put it on just decide to wreck us dads. I mean, they, they know it. It's like 
cue the tears. And so they, they play this song. You maybe have heard it. Stephen Curtis Chapman, Cinderella song. He goes, And I will dance with Cinderella while she is here in my arms. About that time, I pick my five-year-old up and, and, and I hug her. And she's like, Dad, why are you picking me up? I'm five. <laughs> What's going on? It's happening here. But I pick her up and I'm like slow dancing with her. Her feet are like hanging, you know, kind of deal. She doesn't know what to do. And, 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 and so I'm, and tears just start to pour from my eyes. I'm like, Daddy's eyes are leaking. I will dance with Cinderella. And we're just singing. And you know why. Because if you're a dad, you can see it if you've got a little one or if you've already experienced this, is that they grow up they, and they go away. But here's the reason why really it touches me is um, I remember when Isabel was about two years old going to Pastor Greg and his daughter Jessica's wedding. And I remember watching them dance together at the end of the wedding. It's it about the same time that that song came out, I think. And as I watched that, I remember being there at that wedding and going, that's what I want one day. That's what it's about. We're, we're going to raise this little girl and we're going to get to a point where I'm going to dance with her into the sunset and hand her off to a guy that I actually like. I mean, that, that I am happy about the fact that they're getting married and that he did it the right way. Note to all five-year-old boys right now, if you don't do it the right way, one way, one day it'll be trouble. But, but so I'm handing it off and it's the picture that I want to see. So there's this picture of newborns that we love. And then there's this picture of the right way of handing your daughter off. And one day I, I won't dance with my little boy because that would be awkward at his wedding for me to do that. It would probably mess him up a little bit. But we'll go... We'll go eat dirt together or something. We'll do something and, and then we'll, we'll fist pump, you know, and go, we did it right, you know, kind of deal. That's where I want to get to in my life. And we love those two pictures. But for those of you who are seasoned parents, you look at people like me of young kids and you go, and there's this space in between. There's this, there's this stuff that happens when you have a 12-year-old boy who refuses to wear anything but gym shorts and a plaid shirt. And he hasn't, he hasn't bathed in three days. And he thinks that's acceptable. There's this space in between where your daughter looks at you and says, Daddy, I don't want to dance with you. Not only that, I don't want you to drop me off in front of the school. Could you just like go down here, drop me off, I'll walk, I'll tell him I don't even have a dad. That'd be better. <laughs> it's a better story than you having to be my dad. See that, and you know that there's this space in between where... where really the hard work of maturing, of growing, of learning, of, of kind of being parents exists. And, and I know about that because I talked about that diaper. I changed a two-year-old's diaper this weekend and there was nothing adorable about it at all. There's this stuff in between that happens. And Paul is saying in this chapter, or this verse, in this passage rather, get my word right there in a second, and he is saying, that the spiritual, with the spiritual life, there is this space in between. And in fact, Paul often breaks up, um, through his writings, he will break up the, the salvation experience into three buckets. And, and there are these three buckets that he uses, and, and we kind of see, in fact, theology has been built off of these writings. And, and it is this, is that we have to first deal with our past. And so there is this dealing with our past that theologians would call justification. And Jesus has to justify us. Then there is in the middle, the space in between that we're talking about. There's dealing with our present. The fact that we still exist and we're still here and we're still learning and growing and maturing and becoming like Christ. And there's a space in between that theologians would call sanctification. 
And then there is the end where we will one day truly be made like Christ. That picture that we have in our mind, uh, we will finally be united with Christ in a beautiful, unbelievable way. And theologians would call that glorification. And Paul talks about those three things, even in this passage that we're looking at this weekend and throughout Philippians and his other writings as well. And he would say about that first piece, that justification, that being reconciled with Christ is an effortless event. It's an effortless event. You may even remember from last weekend, and uh, Pastor Greg spent a great bit of time on talking about the fact that, that, that there is this event where we are justified, that there's no list that we can build, there's no religion that we can follow, there's no thing that we can do, there's no effort that we can make to be justified, but that Jesus justifies us. In fact, in Philippians 3.9, it says this, that Paul says of Jesus, he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And so we have all of this junk in our lives. We have all of this stuff going on. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, justified us. He paid for all of our past. He dealt with all of our past on the cross. And because of that, it's taken care of. And so Jesus takes care of our past with new life. He takes care of our past by changing us on the inside. And it is this effortless event on our lives. And we love that event. Here at Seacoast, we, we're, that's what drives us as a church is that event that happens when people's lives are changed. In fact, most of you would be able to share a story that you would say, you know what? I was heading in a different direction. My life was completely different. It was on its way to destruction. And then I had an event with Jesus where he paid for my past. I realized it. It came together and I was changed. And we love that. We celebrate that. In fact, uh, in my own life, I had the opportunity back in uh, several months ago, my, my daughter, who's five now, started to ask lots of questions, just questions that were pretty deep um, questions and things that really deserved an answer more than just you'll figure that out one day when you get older. And so we started having some pretty deep conversations for a five-year-old and talking about what it meant to be a sinner and what that meant for her and what sin looked like in her life. And that what it meant for Jesus to save her. And then in November of last year, we, we talked to a point where I said, you know, I really think um, after talking to some of my mentors and really praying with Connie and said, I think Isabel's ready to ask Jesus to save her. And so she did back in November. And then in January, I had the opportunity to um, baptize my little girl, which was just an amazing, amazing day for me. And it was just a great picture of what it means to celebrate that new life as I ducked her into the water and, and, and brought her back out again. And that I can say that even in this little five-year-old's life, I have seen that she understands it and it's changed her in a five-year-old kind of way. And it's been an amazing deal. In fact, some of you, we celebrate new life in this way. And this whole event of justification, I had those of you who emailed me or uh, on Facebook, you said, hey, I was just bawling as I watched that on the screens as you were, we were worshiping and you were baptizing Isabel. What an unbelievable day that was. And that's because we love that event. We love what goes on there. But the truth is, that's an effortless event. But becoming like Christ is an ongoing process it's an ongoing process it's not effortless at all and it's not an event it's a process and sometimes quite frankly it's exhausting 
It's a ton of work. It's this thing that theologians call sanctification that we talked about where we are being made more and more like Jesus and walking through this process and it's ongoing. It continues to happen. And though we've been justified, our past has been taken care of in the present, in the space in between, we're growing, we're learning. This is in the space in between is where we repent of sin. And repenting of sin is hard. I mean, it takes a lot of work to be willing to truly examine yourself, to truly come to a place where you go, you know what, I messed up and I have to go to this person and tell them it was my fault, I apologize and I repent. It takes a lot of work to be constantly examining yourself and being willing to be open to people. It's the place where we learn and we continue to learn. It's an ongoing process. We learn and we grow and we change. And because we change, we see more effectively our sin. And so we repent and we learn and we grow. And we do this over and over again as we become more and more like Jesus. Because becoming like Christ is an ongoing effort. In fact, it's exhausting. And Paul talks about it like this. In Philippians 3.12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, this could be taken as discouraging as we read this, but I'm, I'm kind of encouraged by Paul. Could be discouraged because we're looking at Paul and going, okay, here's Paul. He, he's been a Christ follower now, been following after Jesus since his event where Jesus came and radically changed his life for about 30 years. So he's been a Christ follower for about 30 years. He is apostle and the apostle to the Gentiles. He has written a significant portion of the Bible. How many of you have that on your resume? You go, yeah, written a couple books of the Bible. That's me. Yeah, that's me. Paul has done that. I mean, if we were having a most likely to be perfect in the Jerusalem high school yearbook, Paul is there, you know, smiling, going, look at me. This is who I am. I'm Paul. And Paul is saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't gotten there. What Paul is saying is, is that this is an ongoing process. I press on. I continue to do it. I wish that I were perfect, but I'm not. I'm not perfect at all. I keep moving forward. I keep pressing on, Paul is saying. What Paul has realized is the Christian life is about an ongoing, pro- an ongoing process of learning, repenting, humbly changing. You never reach a point where you're able to say, I did it. I'm done. How many of you in this room, and, and I'll keep my hand raised, how many of you are perfectionists? You're, you're, you're just a little bit of a perfectionist. And if your spouse isn't raising their hand, they should. You kind of raise it up a little bit for them, a little bit. Perfect- how many of you are married to a perfectionist? I'm sorry. I really am. I apologize weekly to my wife on, for this as well. Because for perfectionists, we really want to be able to become like Christ, like today. I mean, like, we want to knock that off of our list. I mean, if you're like me, you, you, you make lists of things, and if you forgot to put it on your list, you put it on your list so you can have the pleasure of checking it off that you did it. I mean, that's the kind of list I like to keep. And so you, you, you're like, it drives you crazy that it's this ongoing process, that you keep going because you want to get to the end one day. You want to be able to go, hey, I can check off everything, and now I'm down to the last one, dealt with pride in my life, and you check that off, and you go, yeah, and then you go, oh, now I was just prideful. I got to uncheck it. I got to erase it. And because I was prideful, I sinned. And now I got to go back to the beginning and work on sin and learn and repent and grow and mature. And so it's frustrating sometimes that this is the way it is. 
that it's this ongoing process of learning of how to, to, to keep growing to be like Christ. And it can quickly, talking about the joy in the process, can quickly become something that we lose our joy in. And like Pat, last weekend, Pastor Greg talked about, we get concerned with legalism, and legalism is the, it robs us and steals all of our joy. And so we begin to concentrate on the fact that, that it's ongoing and we want it to end, but it is an ongoing process. Not only is it an ongoing process, becoming like Christ is an unpredictable process. It's unpredictable. And for most of us, at some core of our being, we are control freaks. And so we want it to be very predictable. See, we want God to move when we need God to move. I, I find that God seems to move when I haven't scheduled him into my calendar. He didn't call my assistant. He did not make an appointment. And, and now he wants to talk to me. And so I find that I'm busy. I don't have time to be stretched. I mean, even thinking about being stretched, it's a painful thing to think about. I, I can't touch my toes. Maybe some of you can, but just to be able to touch my toes is hard. And then I'm thinking about somebody comes into my life and says, God just wants to stretch you. I mean, I imagine being on this machine where I'm being stretched out. See, God wants to come into my life and, and, and stretch me and challenge me. And I haven't made time for him. I find that, that I don't have time for him to grow. Have you noticed too that Sometimes the growth pattern, as far as unpredictable with Christ, it seems to look like in our lives, if you've been a Christian for more than like five minutes, you've found that, that, that it seems to be like sort of like the stock market of the last couple of years. You feel like you're growing, and then you're not growing, and then you're growing, and then you're not growing. And it, it's frustrating because it's unpredictable. When is God going to show up? How is God going to show up? And it's very erratic, the way that he begins to move. I was thinking about that in, in, in this whole process, though, and I thought, you know, I think that that's the way God moves. That's the way He seems to, to flow. The ebbs and flows of His way of changing us and, and, and working in us seems to be sort of erratic. And then I thought about everything else that grows that God has made in nature. Everything that grows is erratic like that. It grows in, in spurts. In fact, I remembered uh, back when um, Hayes, uh, my wife was pregnant with Hayes, who's now two years old, our little boy. Um, I remember laying in the bed and I had my hand on her belly, like all guys do, just waiting for him to kick. And I mean, he was like a little soccer player. That boy could kick. I don't even, I do not know how you ladies take that. But I mean, it is like something kicking my insides would be really, really odd. But so I'm laying there and I'm like waiting for him to kick. And my, my wife looks at me and she says, you know, he's two and a half pounds now. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. He's going from conception to this little two and a half pound baby. And then I thought about it. I thought over the next three months that he was going to be still kind of cooking in there and everything. Over the next three months, he is going to go from two and a half pounds to seven pounds. So I'm laying there and I'm feeling, I say to my wife, I'm like, over the next three months, he's going to grow by 180%. That is amazing. It's unbelievable. And most husbands who are normal would just stop there. And they would just kind of enjoy that moment. But I, I'm not normal. And so I did the math real quick. And I thought, if after his first, if he was born for his first year of life, if every three months he were to grow by 180%, when he was one year old, he would weigh 480 pounds. <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, we could have the first one-year-old on The Biggest Loser. It'd be incredible, amazing deal. And she laughed like you because she knows me and she loves me. And that's why I love the woman. She didn't say, you're weird because I know I'm weird. Do you know that it would have been 
just quite unnatural, honestly, and, and fatal if Hayes had not grown at that alarming rate while in utero. He had to. He had to grow like that. But it would have been equally as fatal if he sustained that and kept growing like that all the time when he got born into this world. And I think that everything grows like that. That we grow in these ebbs and flows and it's erratic and it's unpredictable. But it's frustrating sometimes as we follow Jesus that it's like that. But what Paul says is that realize that. Realize where you're at and and, and enjoy the ebbs and the flows. Know when you're in the the valley that God's trying to pick and dig deep at something. Know that when you're growing like crazy and it seems like everything's going well and that God has shown up and He's wanting to do something amazing that He's preparing you possibly for something big. See, we have to enjoy and find joy in those times. It's important to allow God to move slowly sometimes in these times of slow growth and to enjoy those times of fast-paced growth. Paul says it like this, though, about this whole adventure. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul says. He says, I know sometimes it's going to be frustrating to kind of have this ebb and flow. I know sometimes there's going to be things that happen and it's going to frustrate you. There's going to be things that happen that are unpredictable. And sometimes the journey is going to be tough. But here's what I found. Two keys to maturing, Paul says. The two keys are this, forgetting what lies behind and then pressing forward to the goal. You see, what Paul is saying is let's make sure that in the zigs and the zags that we are still pressing toward the goal, that we are still, our feet are are planted and facing the right direction, that we are going towards the goal, that we're not looking behind us and concentrating on what has happened in our lives. See, he says we've got to forget what lies behind. You know, at first blush, we could think that what Paul is saying is to to, uh, totally forget it, to never be able to even conjure it up again. But we know that that's not the truth because Paul himself in this very book talks about what happened in his past. He talks about the fact that he was the chief of all sinners. He talks about the fact that he stoned Christians and persecuted them. So what I see here in this example of Paul is someone who says, you know what, when I, when I look back, how you know that I've truly forgotten about it, how you know that I truly have dealt with it and I know that God has taken care of my past is the fact that I can talk about it. It's the fact that if, if when someone says, hey, this thing happened and you didn't deal with it, you go, hey, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to deal with that. You know, that's my past. I don't even want to think about it. That maybe there's still some process going on. And maybe, in fact, you're looking back more than you realize you are. And Paul says, you're in these zigs and zags. Just make sure that you're not in a spiritual recession. See, it's one thing to kind of have dips and valleys as we're growing and going forward to the goal. But there's another thing to be in a spiritual recession. And that's when we're moving the wrong way. And I think what Paul is warning us about is, is not to get stuck in that recession, not to get stuck in where you are. It's to find hope in the fact that, that it is going to be a little, little erratic and sometimes a little unpredictable. But what is predictable is that there's a goal that we're moving towards. So what do you do when you feel like you're in a spiritual recession? What, what do you do? The first thing is you ask yourself a couple questions. You say, is there any sin in my life? Are there any known sin in my life that I need to deal with? In fact, Paul talks about some that were on his heart, even to the point where he was in tears in Philippians three eighteen through 19. He says, 
For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. See, when we have sin in our life, we get caught in this spiritual recession because the deal is is we're looking behind us and we're moving in the wrong direction because there's sin that is distracting us. There's sin that is entangling us and, and, and wrapping us up and not allowing us to move and flow with the unpredictable yet ebbs and flows of God's moving in our souls. And so he says that the end of that is destruction. We know what the end is. He says, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame. Their mind is set, those who have sinned in their lives, on earthly things. And he's saying the goal has to be glorious things. The goal has to be becoming like Christ, but instead we get caught up in that sin. So the first thing is ask, is there any sin in my life? The second thing I think you ask is, am I pressing on? Am I moving forward? I mean, as I look at the context of my life, am I moving forward or am I looking back? And you begin to ask yourself, am I really growing? And and some signs of that are, are you repenting of that sin? Are you learning something new about yourself and something that you can, how you can become more like Christ? Are you maturing? Do you feel like you're mature? In fact, the third question kind of wraps all this up as you say, am I pressing on in the right direction? There are ebbs and flows. There will be slow times. There will be fast times of growth. But when you look at yourself last year, are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? Through all that's happened, through all the unpredictable things that have happened, but are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago? You see, Paul says it can be frustrating when it's unpredictable. But if you will answer these three questions, you will find, start to find some joy in the ebbs and the flows, you'll, you'll know that I'm, I'm in this slow part because God's doing something. He wants to work on me. Maybe, in fact, He's pointing out sin in my life that I need to deal with. So becoming like Christ is an unpredictable process and it's an ongoing process as well. Not only that, though, becoming like Christ is a messy process. It is a messy process. Look at Philippians three fifteen through 16. Let those of you who are mature think this way, talking about the way that he's been talking on up to this. And if anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is kind of the paradoxical verse of this whole growth process. And it's kind of a, a weird thing. I, I, had to, I had to look at a lot of different commentaries and study a little bit. And I saw this is what they all seem to agree on is what Paul is saying here is if you are really mature, you will realize that you're not mature. Like, it's like, hey, the closer you get to Christ and you really press on and you really forget the past, the closer you get and you go, yeah, I am more like Jesus than I was last year. The more you do that, the more you'll go, oh, I'm more messed up than I thought I was. I mean, how many of you say, I I thought I was pretty messed up. When I became a Christ follower, that's why I needed Jesus. But the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize I'm really messed up. Like I am more and more messed up the closer I get. And what Paul is saying is there's these ebbs and flows, but then it's messy. And the reason that it's messy is because we are messy. Our sin in our life messes things up. We're more messed up than we ever thought we were. Messy is realizing that you hurt the ones you love 
over and over again and you repent of it and you get forgiveness for it and then you realize you hurt them again. And so you continue to repent and you continue to grow and you continue to learn and it's an ongoing process of becoming like Jesus. Messy is when you finally are real with someone, just anyone, for just a little bit to kind of peel open the dark part of your soul that Jesus is really working on. And when you're honest enough to say to someone, this is, this is who I really am. I'm dealing with it. I, I'm, 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 I don't want to be prideful, but I am. I, I want to be humble, but I'm, I just, I'm not yet, and I'm learning. I, I don't want to be materialistic, but I'll have to admit I, put my, I get my happiness from material things, and I'm having trouble finding joy outside of them. And it's when you really crack open and say, I'm a messy person. Life is also messy. How many of you would say that not only am I messy, Sean, but it seems like other people are because they keep messing up my life. I mean, really. I, I didn't even do anything. I expect for me to do something. I didn't even do anything. And this came into my life. Messy is when, like some friends of ours, family is having to do, that you're praying for your preschooler who has cancer. That's messy. That doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Messy is when, by no fault of your own, except just general, like, you know, marriage stuff, your spouse comes home and says, I'm done. It's not your fault, but I'm over it. I'm done. I'm out. And it doesn't wrap up like the Hallmark movie and that they come back in the end. They, they're not coming back. And that's messy. Messy is when things in life just happen because we live in a fallen and sinful world. And so there's this ongoing process of becoming like Jesus. We so want to predict when God will step in and change us in an area, but He's unpredictable. And the truth is, is we live in a world and a life that during this ongoing process and this unpredictable process, it's messy. That's what Paul's telling us. Thanks, Paul. It's rather depressing. Yeah. You've been a Christian 30 years, and the best thing you've got to tell us is, boy, life, it sure ain't long, but it's hard. I mean, thanks. But there is hope, and he gives us that hope. He wraps it up with the last part. Remember, we said God has to deal with your past. He then deals with our present, makes us more like Jesus. But the last part is this. Being like Christ is a certain destination. It's a certain destination. Remember, being reconciled with Christ was an event. Being like Christ is a certain destination. Of the three buckets that we talked about, this is that glorification. And it too is effortless. Look at Philippians 3, 20-21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You know, it is true that oftentimes we can think about that event in the beginning and it's awesome like a newborn baby and, and then we think about that event at the end where we're going to be reunited with Christ and it's like that dad dancing with his daughter. And we can concentrate on those two things and we forget the space in between. And that's not healthy. But another thing that's not healthy is not to think about heaven. 
and not to think about the fact that there will be a day when by no effort of our own, most of us, maybe even all of us, will be in a grave. We will be resurrected like Jesus was. We will meet with Him, as the Scripture says, in the sky, and we will get to spend eternity being like Christ and with Jesus in the presence of God. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about my little girl in her childlike uh, way of learning about Jesus is every day she asks me about heaven. Every single day. She says, Dad, if there's gold streets, will anything be pink? She, she said, because she said, I like gold, but I would rather they be pink. And I said, baby, the flowers will be pink and you'll never have to water them. And she said, well, I like watering flowers. I said, okay, then you'll probably get to water them in, your, in heaven because there's going to be joy. And every day, I've noticed that every day she asks me something little about heaven. And see, I don't know that we think about heaven enough and that through all of our present suffering is but a very small blip on the screen of the eternity that we will get to spend with Jesus. And Paul says, there's our goal. There's our certainty. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We will be made like Christ in the end. It is glorious and it is effortless on our part. But what should we do along the way? I mean, we've, we've got the two bookends. What do we do during this space in between? Well, Paul gives us a little bit of a, a peek into how we can find joy. He says, Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join me in, in, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul sets out a very clear way that we can really find joy in the space in between. He says the first thing is find someone who has been where you are going. Find someone who's been where you're going and say, hey, can I follow you? He says, hey, follow me. Imitate me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm further along than you are. And what we do is we find someone who's been where we want to be. You find a parent who's further along in the parenting journey than you are. And you say, hey, can I follow you? You find a business person who's further along. You find a, a husband or a wife and you say, I want to be like you. So think about this process. I think back to when I was 18, 19 years old and a new Christian. I really, really wanted to be married. I wanted to get a job and I wanted to do something substantial in my life and have some responsibilities. And so I chose to hang out with a bunch of other 18 and 19 year olds who didn't have a wife. They didn't have a job. They didn't really have any responsibilities. We were really good at avoiding responsibilities. We were good at that, but we didn't have any. And we hung out together and went, how do you find a wife? Uh, I don't know. I don't even have a girlfriend. Never had one. I don't even know what it's about. And, and I thought, I mean, that's the worst thing a bunch of 20-somethings-year-olds could do is hang out with a bunch of other 20-somethings all the time. What we need to do is find someone and go, hey, I'd like to be where you are. So you mind if I tag along and find something? And then the second person you find is you look behind you a little bit and go, hey, is there anybody behind me that I'm just a little bit further than them on this journey? And you find someone that wants to go where you are. You say, hey, you can kind of follow me and, and I'll let you know some of the bumps in the roads and, and there's, some, there's some dumb tax I had to pay along the way. I'll let you not do that. How about we avoid that and you just kind of follow me and we'll do this journey together. What if we all did that? 
I mean, just as simple as that, Paul, this is one verse Paul has given us. How much more joy would we find in the ongoing, unpredictable, messy process that is being a Christ follower if we had someone we were following that was giving us some advice and we were kind of helping someone along the way? I think it would change everything. And I think what Paul is saying is it's the only way to live life. Because if you don't live it that way, it's going to be frustrating and you will lose your joy. And I believe that he... And mostly, I believe that Christ wants us to have joy. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you that, God, you give us uh, Paul as an example of someone who ultimately was following your son, Jesus. And, God, as we look to Jesus, we, God, we adore Jesus. Because it was Jesus who took care of our past. It's Jesus who helps to refine us in the present. And one day we will meet with Jesus in the future. And God, we thank you for that. And we praise you. We pray that you will continue to work in us. That we will be able to work out our salvation and fear and trembling, God, as a process of knowing the certain destination that we will arrive to we pray that you would teach us that we would learn that we would grow and that we would repent and mature and it's in jesus name that we pray amen